0: Good everyone, I'm Brian Sampson of Bucks Film Room and welcome to the Bucks Film Room podcast. Usually we drop this on Wednesdays, but I had some technical difficulties last night, aka the recording didn't save, so this is take two. I'm recording this right before the Bucks 76ers game on Thursday night, but it probably won't drop until Friday morning after the game. So I won't have any takeaways of whatever happens in that game. This will be solely focused on answering your guys' question. As it stands going into this Bucks 76ers game, the magic number is at one. And barring a major meltdown the rest of the season, there's no way Milwaukee won't get to that number one overall seed. It's their last road game tonight at Philadelphia, and then they have three home games to finish out the season in the next week. So they play the Nets on Saturday, the Hawks on Sunday, and the Thunder on Wednesday. Hopefully they can get this victory tonight against Philadelphia and then really rest their players. I think that'd be huge. Right now, health is my biggest concern. Middleton has missed a couple of games with that groin injury. We all know about Giannis's ankle. He says he's 100%. He's been reporting that. He didn't really look 100% against the Nets um, on Monday, but then again, you never know. I mean, at this point in the year, nobody is actually 100%, but I think it'd still be huge for him to get that rest and really go into the playoffs at full strength or as close to full strength, and we'll see when Nikola Mirtich can return where Tony Snell is at. Those guys, you know, there's been kind of a tight lid so far about their return. We don't know exactly yet. It sounds like they're progressing. Budenholzer has talked a little bit about how Mirtich's pain is going down slowly, so that's a good sign. Tony Snell with his ankle is pretty swollen. He could hardly walk after it initially, and hopefully he's getting better. Brogdon, he's off of crutches now, I saw, which is a good thing, and it still appears that his timeline is for the beginning of the second round. So the Bucks are really dealing with a lot of these injuries and fortunately because of the depth they've been able to weather the storm. So that is a really good sign. They've had a lot of guys step up. You know, their wing depth their wing depth has been really impressive this season. They've always had guys step up. You know, they got Middleton and Brogdon as their starters, but then they have Snell, Sterling Brown, Pat Connaughton, Dante DiVincenzo throughout different times of the season. You know, they've each had their Role up until Snell got hurt, he was one of the only guys who had played, who had been in the rotation all season long. Otherwise, guys like Patsy and Sterling had taken their turns. But that depth is really showing now. Heading into these last four games, Sterling Brown and Pat Connaughton are playing the best basketball of their season, and maybe their career, probably their career as well. And we'll get into this question here in a bit, so I won't jump into it. But it's going to be really hard to figure out what that rotation is going to look like. So. Hopefully there's not a lot of drama over these last four games. Hopefully the Bucks can continue to do what they've done all season long and that's dominate and get a victory. You know, for a team that has only lost back-to-back games one time all season. I'm not worried about them losing four games in a row and losing that potentially that potential number 1 seed, you know, the Raptors. They have to win their games. They have a cakewalk of a schedule they've had that over these last few weeks. But I'm really not worried about the bucks. I think it's all but a but a sure thing at this point that they'll lock up that number one seed um, so let's just jump right into these questions here. <clears throat> The first question comes from at Kempler K. Oh, by the way, so I tweeted this out. That's where you can find, where you can ask these questions. Usually that's the best platform for me is I'll tweet this out from my account at Bucks Film Room, and then you can ask your questions on there. That's the best way for me to answer them and see them and just run through them. So this first one comes from at Kempler K. It says, your playoff rotation off the bench, is it Sterling Sorry, let's try this over. Your playoff rotation off the bench, is it Sterling, Snell or Pat who will get the most opportunity? Also, I suspect a lot more inside game from Brooke, especially when Giannis is off the floor. Do you agree? So the first part is about the playoff rotation and whether it'll be St- whether it be Sterling Brown, Tony Snell or Pat Connaughton. I think that It'll be matchup-based, and it might just depend on who has the hot hand. I think Sterling Brown and Tony Snell will get the initial chances. If I had to guess, and this is complete speculation, so I think that Sterling and Tony will get the first chances. They've been guys that have been in the rotation for a lot. Snell for the whole season that he's been healthy, Sterling for his last last part. Pat Connaughton, he is playing the best basketball this season and of his career at this point. You know he's finding his outside stroke. He hustles. He grabs rebounds. But I think his defense is the most questionable. He flies at pump fakes all the time. He's got these hops that he always wants to show off, and it's sweet when he throws down these dunks off his cuts. But I think that he'll kind of be pushed to the outside. You know you can't you can't have all of these guys play play. We'll get into that. You know, the in the playoffs rotations really tighten up and the Bucks this this depth has really helped them manage this long regular season. But in the playoffs, Middleton will be playing more. Brogdon, when he returns, he'll be playing more. So in this first round for sure, I think Sterling will get that start. If Snell is healthy, I think he will then get some of those backup minutes. If he's not healthy, then I think that's when you would see Pat Connaughton. For the second part of the question, it says, Also, I suspect a lot more inside game from Brooke, especially when Giannis is off the floor. Do you agree? No, I don't agree. I think the Bucks aren't going to switch anything up. When you're this successful, you know, by a lot of the margins, a lot of the stats that we look at, they're one of the most historic teams, you know, winning 45 games or whatever it is by double digits. The last seven teams to do that have won the NBA Finals or some stat like that. So there's really no need to change things up. If the Bucks are having success, and they, they will for sure, they'll cruise through this first round, so no need to change it up. I could see if other teams try to go small, we've seen one, maybe a couple other times where Lopez has then posted up. I could see that being the only time, but otherwise the Bucks are going to try to continue to do what they've done, you know. A big reason Giannis has been so successful this season as well is that extra space. He doesn't have somebody posting up. When Lopez is on the court, he can stretch the floor. He can make his guy respect his shot from the three-point line. And if he's down there posting up, that clogs that lane. You know, That puts that seven-footer or whoever's guarding Lopez, puts him right down low, right where Giannis wants to go, and can make it more difficult. So I don't think that Lopez will... We'll go inside. You know, he always has that opportunity. Like if he catches a pass on the three-point line and his man closes out too hard or overplays, he can drive or he could do his his slow, his really slow drive to the hoop. So you might see that just like we have, but I don't think that it'll increase uh, any more than what we've seen in the regular season. All right, moving on to the next question. At the NBA analyst, I think is what it is. At the NBA analyst one, who will be the Bucks' biggest threat in getting to the finals? Raptors, Celtics, Sixers, or Pacers? You can cross Pacers off that list. Without Oladipo, they really are are not a, not a threat. I hope that they make it through that first round. I hope that they can get home court and defeat the. The Celtics in that first round, I think that would be huge. You know, the Pacers, I'm not worried about. They definitely are a team that would make the Bucks work hard, but the Bucs will handle their business against the Pacers if they match up in five or six games. So the Pacers, definitely you can take them off that list. Next, you know, if I'm starting from the bottom with the Pacers as a four, I would put the Celtics as the third biggest threat. Um, maybe on paper they are up there but they just haven't put it together and it's our now we're getting into game 78 77 79 you know so it's not like it's just a small sample at this point the Celtics are who they're going to be you know they are who they are and i don't see a huge shift coming you know you can't just turn that on and off we haven't even seen them really turn that on in the regular season for long stretches. And so I'm not too worried about them. My biggest concern is if Al Horford gets it going, he's a tough matchup for somebody like Brooke Lopez. They have Kyrie. You know, they have they have the depth and the players at the top of their team that can really take it to the buck. So that would be my biggest worry. But I think that overall Milwaukee should be should be able to handle Boston. You know, they'll have that little extra chip on their shoulder as well having lost to them last season. Even though these teams look completely different with Boston getting a lot of guys back and Milwaukee changing their coaching staff, adding some key additions. I think Milwaukee will be hungry after last year, and so I would put the Celtics as that the third biggest threat in the East. And then I would put the I would put the Sixers behind the Raptors. So the Sixers is a second biggest threat. The matchup kind of concerns me. At first I thought that Lopez and Embiid would be a good matchup. You know, from a Bucks standpoint, I thought that Lopez could manage him, keep him contained. That last Bucks 76ers game really got me worried where Embiid went off, dropped forty-some points. But overall, I just think that, that depth will hurt them. You know, if they're asking Embiid, Simmons, Jimmy Butler those three guys to play 30 37 to 40 minutes every night like I just don't see their bodies holding up especially if they just played a tough tough first series against against Indiana so if Boston goes six seven games against Indiana and then they have to beat Milwaukee I just see that as being really tough you know Embiid he's been out for a few games we know about Butler's injury history Ben Simmons missed a whole year once and so I just see that like their bodies wearing down in a, in a physical series and the Bucks. They may not have that top-end talent, but they have the pieces that fit better. They have the team that is more inclusive with one another. They play better with one another, and so I would expect that to to really overpower this the Sixers in a seven-game series. The biggest threat, so to answer the question, is who will be the Bucks' biggest threat? I think it's the Raptors. You know, they're the number two seed by a long margin. They have a what six and a half game lead over Boston going into Thursday night's game. And so that's no fluke. The Raptors have, or sorry, not over Boston. The They have a six and a half lead, six and a half game lead over Philadelphia. So the Raptors, they, even though the Bucks beat them 3-1, that Marcus Saul trade was huge in my eyes. That gives them a guy who can pick and pop, who can really do something. You know, when the Bucks played the Raptors last, they weren't worried about Ibaka. When Lopez would drop, he'd be more worried about the ball handler in a pick-and-roll situation. He was not worried about Ibaka hitting that you know, 20-footer or 18-footer. That's one of the lowest percentage shots in basketball and something that Budenholzer wants to give up if he has a choice. And so they weren't worried about that. But now you had Marcus Saul who can step it back to that three-point line. He can facilitate the Raptors' offense from the corners. He's a defensive presence, a big body down there. And that just gives Raptors more versatility, a different look than they had before. You know, they could put different guys on Lopez, or they can match up differently. And they have Siakam, they have Kawhi Leonard, and they have Kyle Lowry. Lowry never shows up in the playoffs, but he's still that talent that you have to account for. And so I would put them as the biggest threat to the Bucks. That would be my biggest concern. I'm not sure exactly how that would all play out. I think that's why it'd be huge if the Bucs can get home court advantage. It would give them four games, hopefully, at home, where they've been really, really good, where they didn't lose a playoff game last year at home. They were 3-0 at home in last year's playoffs. <clears throat> so I think that the Raptors would be the biggest threat. They just have a lot of those pieces, Fred Van Fleet coming off the bench. So I would put Toronto up there as the biggest threat to the Bucks in the East. All right. The next question comes from at Bucks in five. Since I think predictions are fun, within the first two playoff rounds, the Bucks lose over under three and a half games. So first two playoff rounds, the Bucks lose over under three and a half playoff games. Well, let's see here. So three and a half. So they lose one. We'll just say they lose one in the first round. That gives them two to three. Whew. I would say under. I think that the way the Bucks are cruising, I don't think that they would lose any in their first round. I'm just going to say that for this scenario. Right now, going into Thursday night's game, they'd play the Magic. I'm not worried about that, whether it's the Magic, the Heat, the Nets. That's a question coming up, so I won't get into that too much. But So three and a half, I would put under. So if they lose zero in the first round, then obviously if they lost all four in the second, that would put them on the over. So I think they lose zero in the first round. And then I think they lose two or three in the second round, depending on who they play. So I'm going to go with the under. One thing that could make this prediction a little difficult is if they lose that one game in the first round, then they'd only have room to lose two in the second round, which I think is very doable. You know, the Bucks have held up very well against Boston and Indiana this year. So, I think that is doable, but I'm definitely going to go with the under the under three and a half games. I think they lose three games or fewer in those first two rounds, probably closer to three. All right. The next question comes from at Zach Wiseman, which team in the East would be the worst matchup for the Bucks in the first round? Pistons, Nets, Heat, Magic. Also, what are some ways that Sterling Brown can contribute big time in the playoffs for us, possibly even past the first round when Brogdon is back? Alright, so the first part of the question, which team in the East would be the worst matchup for the Bucks in the first round between the Pistons, Nets, Ma- Nets, Heat, and Magic? So as it stands right now, the Pistons are in six, and the Nets and the Magic are right behind them in 7th and 8th. They're only a half game behind the Pistons, and then the Heat are a game behind the Pistons. So we got three teams, four teams there within one game, so it really could be any of those teams. So... I think that the Pistons are probably the worst. Uh, Pistons are Nets? Um, the Nets are tough. They got a lot of guys that are coming at you. I really worry about. I'm gonna put. I'm gonna put the Nets up there as the worst matchup. They got Jared Allen, who we saw. Just his length bother Giannis. I don't think it has anything to do with their zone defense. That zone defense they played on Monday against the Bucks does not bother me. When you're missing a guy like Mirtich, a guy like Snell, a guy like Middleton, like we're talking about three outside shooters right there who can kill the zone. You know, it's not just one guy. It's three different guys who can spot up and make the zone pay. From the outside and that really allows Giannis then because those Giannis likes to get in the middle of those zones and then he has different options you know he doesn't have Frazier or Colson or whoever um so I'm not worried about the zone. I would just say from you know a Giannis matchup perspective, the Nets scare me. Then they got some shooters. They got Joe Harris. They have DeAndre Russell who can get hot, um, but he was really shut down. He did he did end up with I think like 28 points, but it took him a bunch of shots to get there. You know, Bledsoe. That's a good matchup for Bledsoe, but then they got Dinwiddie. Um, so I really I would put the Nets as the worst matchup, meaning that they have the best chance to take two games at worst. like Worst case scenario for Milwaukee is they lose two games in that first round. There's absolutely no way any of those teams, there's no way the Pistons, the Nets, Magic, the Heat, there's no way any of those teams take more than two games from the Bucs. Just the way that Milwaukee has been playing, I expect them to cruise through that first round. So I'd put the Nets as the worst matchup. Then I would put the Pistons and I would put them next because of Blake Griffin. Um, he's played very well against the Bucks. That's a hard, that's a difficult matchup for Giannis. You know, Giannis is better when he can defend the players who he doesn't have to worry about. Where he doesn't have to rely on his one-on-one or his individual defense. That's what Giannis does best with. And, and Griffin, he has to be the primary defender. And Griffin has has had some really good games. uh Don't get me wrong, Giannis has definitely had his moments. I can think specifically where he swatted two of Griffin's shots like literally into the third, fourth row. So it's not a huge concern, but I just think that that's just, for Giannis personally, not the best matchup. Griffin is also savvy enough where he'll sell his body, he'll flop, He'll draw some of those cheap calls on Giannis that, you know, Giannis is still learning how to be a little bit more careful. He loves one of his strengths is going hard into the the paint and getting to the rim, but then players like Griffin can use that against him. So I put the Pistons next. Um... And then after that, you know, Heat, Magic, whatever, I don't really care. N- neither team scares me at all. I think those each would be four-game sweeps, bye-bye, on to the next one, whatever. I don't really care about either of those teams. So you can tie them for third, put them in a tie for third. Um, the Nets would just be the main one I want to avoid, followed by the Pistons, and then whoever finishes eighth between Magic or Heat, or if it's one of them, I don't really care. I mean, the Bucks have wouldn't have any issue with either one of them. All right, and getting to Zach Wiseman's second part or second question says, what are some ways that Sterling Brown can, conti- can contribute big time in the playoffs for us, possibly even past the first round when Brogdon is back? He's a contributor, man. He doesn't back down from anybody. He's He plays hard. He sticks his nose in there. Sometimes that he does he plays too aggressive you know sometimes that gets used against him on defense where he'll try to go for a steal and then his man will backdoor or he'll miss and then it'll be a four and five situation real quick but I think that that just that hard he plays hard and I think that's the way that he can contribute is he brings that physical that physicality that toughness to the team you know he doesn't back down from anyone he'll talk that good talk and he'll really get in your face so I think that's what he can bring also I was, I've been really impressed lately with his driving ability. It seems like without Brogdon, he's really taken it upon himself to be that third guy besides Bledsoe and Giannis who can take it to the hole. Um, Brogdon has filled that that position brilliantly this whole season. You know, He's been the guy who's, with those open lanes, he's been able to take it to the hole. And when he's gone, Middleton, you know, he likes his mid-range jumpers. He doesn't have that I don't know if explosiveness is the right word, but he just doesn't have that little giddy-up that Brogdon has that allows Brogdon to get to the rim. So I think Sterling could help with that. You know, Ideally, he's got the, the better ideal size, physical attributes, driving ability, shooting ability than Snell or Connaughton. So I think that he will be the guy that finds himself contributing even when Brogdon is back in that second round. All right, to the next question from at... Chris O'Larsen. Rotations always shorten in the playoffs. Who do you expect to be to be the Bucks key players off the bench in the playoffs? It will change. So the first round will change because then when Brogdon gets back, he obviously will be probably just put right back into the starting lineup. No need to change that. I know that some people have said, well, maybe it might make sense for Brogdon to go to be that sixth man off the bench with how well Sterling's been playing. But I think that that Bunholzer won't want to mess with that. He'll just put him right back in the lineup. So, for the first round, DJ Wilson is not going to be a part of this playoff rotation. I, I hate to say it. I, well, I don't hate to say it because I'm not a DJ Wilson stand. I try to keep an open mind. He's been playing really well. You know, he's continued his play. He's been hitting some shots. He's been playing fine defense, good defense. But he's just. And I'm not saying that I would keep him out of my playoff rotation. I'm just saying with the way Budenholzer has coached so far this season, there's no reason or no way that he'll suddenly drop Ersan out of his playoff rotation when Ersan is playing better basketball than he has all season. Budenholzer is stuck with Urson throughout the year despite fans being really upset over that. And so I think that he will keep that that part of the rotation as far as Ursan in there. So Wilson will be out. So I would say that Ursan's gonna be that, that main guy off the bench. Nikola Mirtic he'll be he'll be ahead of Ursan as far as the big guys, but but has shown that he'll he'll play two big guys. So it'll be Mirtich and Ursan and It'll be Miritich and Ursan, and then as far as guards for the first round, Sterling will be the starter. So then Pat Connaughton will be, I think, a big guy off the bench. George Hill, he will be the huge guy. We've He dropped, what, 22 points against the Nets, so I think that is huge. Um That's really good. So I think George Hill will be the main contributor off the bench in the playoffs. Pat Connaughton will be in there, and then things will change for the second round. We'll see... We'll see where Snell's at. We'll see how people play in the first round. I don't want to jump too far ahead because I think it all depends on how they play in that first round. They'll really just be like a, you know, a tryout to see who's playing well and who's earned their minutes for that second round of the playoffs. All right. At John Dolze or John Doe Lze, what do you think is the Bucks most effective lineup if they go to a switching scheme in the playoffs at some point? So I think this is where they would bring in Wilson. Wilson is made for the switching scheme. He's quick enough to stay somewhat on the perimeter with guards, with wings. He's long enough to be able to keep his arms up there and defend. So I think that part is huge. And so I think that he would probably be the guy at center with Giannis. And then Middleton, he's a good switcher. Brogdon, Bledsoe, Sterling, I think all those guys are good switchers. It, it doesn't matter so much once you get, get down to those wings and those guards because the Bucks have a lot of guys who can, you know, George Hill, who are good at switching. He'll mainly be the, the centers. So I would expect Wilson to go in there. But I will say this, Lopez has impressed me a lot when he's gone to switching he's done a great job of keeping guys in front of him he gives up more space but he's got that long reach where he can if a guard tries to pull up on a switch he can you know deflect it or contest it and so i will say that don't if the bucks decide to go to a switching lineup that does not mean that lopez is out automatically he's done very well in that in that area of the game so far this season in the limited time the bucks have used that all right. Next question from the same person: Did you used to be a T Wolves fan? What caused you to switch and start covering the Bucks? So I get this question sometimes, and why is because I wrote about the Timberwolves last season um, a little bit here and there. I was Timberwolves film room for a little bit, but nope, I'm not a Timberwolves fan. I did that. I lived in Minnesota. They're the team that was on that was accessible to me that I could watch. I've always been a Bucks fan, and at the end of last season, I was just said to myself like. I liked I love the Bucks. I love Giannis. Do I really want to miss the best basketball the Bucks have ever played in my lifetime in covering the Timberwolves and and I decided that I really wanted to be a part of it. Well, a part of it as far as watching the games and covering it and so then I switched to writing about the Bucks. So nope, not a Timberwolves fan. I'm a Bucks fan, always have been. It was just situation and now I live in Wisconsin, so it makes it a lot easier as well to cover the Bucks. All right. Two more questions I believe. Last or second to last one at CJ0101. How many guys deep should the rotation become second round? Assuming that Brogdon and Mirtic are healthy by then? So this is kind of playing off the other one, but I would say eight eight guys, maybe nine, depending on how it goes. And that maybe that ninth guy only plays like ten minutes. So let's just say you have the starters in Bledsoe, Brogdon. Uh, Middleton, Giannis, and Lopez. So you got those five guys. So then like three to four guys off the bench, you plug Hill in there for sure. You plug Mirtich in there for sure. So that's seven. So then the question becomes, do they try to play Ursan like that 10-ish minutes? Um, And then do they play a wing, somebody like Sterling or Tony or Pat? You know, I think Sterling Brown probably has the edge at this point as that eighth or ninth guy. So I would say those starting five, Hill and Mirtich for sure, probably Sterling Brown to as of now at least, and then maybe Urson like 10 minutes or so, 10, 15 minutes. So that's what I would say as far as how deep that rotation should go. You know, Giannis, we'll see Giannis probably up around 38 minutes, maybe a little higher, but I doubt it. Middleton will be up there. You know, Bledsoe will be about 35 minutes. I don't know about Brogdon. I would say maybe Brogdon would be like 30 because he's just coming back, maybe a little less. Lopez, you'd want to stretch him to 30, probably that's all. So it does, that doesn't leave very many other options. You know, George Haley he can play the one and the two. Sterling Brown, he can play the two and the three. they They've even We've even seen him play some of the four if the Bucks go really small like they did against the Nets. Mirtich, he can play the five, the four, or the three. So they got a lot of flexibility in those three guys. And then Ersan, you know, he can play in that jumbo lineup as well if that's how the Bucks want to go. So I think that, you know, they have a lot of options, which is great. You need that lineup flexibility. The Bucks can do just about any can play just about any kind of defense that Boonholzer wants them to play. So it'll really just depend on matchups and how that stuff goes and what that all looks like. All right, last question. How do you defend? Well, it's from MacGyver 1312. How do you defend pick and pop against Horford and Marcus Saul especially in crunch time? Basically, is the only possible weapon Celtics and Raptors have against the Bucks the pick and pop? I think is what he's saying. Um, so, how would you defend the pick and pop? I think that the biggest way that they'll defend it is they'll stick with their initial defense, the drop, and then ask Lopez to recover like they've been doing all season. You know, Buhdenholzer. I'm more skeptical. That the Bucs just have this grand scheme, you know. They've had success with their number one rated defense, so they're going to run that play. They're going to or they run that that drop defense like they have been until the team in that specific game can prove to them that they can. Shoot him out of it. And what I mean by that is every game will be an individual game. So if they're playing against Al Horford in the second round and he's not making any shots in the first game, they'll continue to run their drop defense. In the second game, if he's hitting shots in the first half into the third quarter, then they might switch it up to that switching defense we've seen. But then in game three, they're going to make Horford prove that he can do it all over again. You know, they're not just going to kick out of their main defense or defense that has allowed them to become the number one ranked defense in the NBA they're not just going to kick that to the curb because of a couple of hot shooting corner quarters and so I think that'll be like the main thing we'll, we'll have to wait to see on they'll stick with their primary drop defense in the pick and roll coverage and we'll see how they do if they decide to come out they could keep you know if they if they decide to switch to or change it up to a switching defense, they could keep Lopez on the floor. They could go to DJ Wilson at that point. They could try to put Giannis at the five. They have a lot of different options, really, depending on how that all goes. So I think that there's a lot of unknowns, you know, especially during the second half of the season. Budenholzer has shown that he's more apt to go to the switching defense. We saw it against the Pacers the last time, or two times ago when they played them, is the Bucs were down 10 in the fourth quarter, switched the defense. It helped spark their offense as well. So I think they'll start out in their basic drop coverage in their pick and roll, and then if they need to, they'll do a game-by-game basis, and they will go to the switching defense if they absolutely have to. All right, well, that is all that I have for you guys. Thank you for hanging in there and sticking with me. I appreciate it if you guys follow me on Twitter, at BucksFilmRoom. We will be back next Wednesday in time to prep us for the playoffs. I will wait to, well, I guess we'll know. Sorry, just doing some math in my head. All right. Yeah. So by the time this drops, we will know who the Bucks this next week, by the time next week's podcast drops, we'll know who the Bucks playoff matchup is. And so I'll definitely try to get a guest on there who can give us some insight so we can start prepping for that team. I appreciate you guys. Catch you next time. <laughs>